A reading from the book of Joshua, Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to, to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. A reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chafe that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Please remain standing for a reading from the New Testament. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Romans. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. <clears throat> Greet Adronicus <clears throat> and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. 
Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also, his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympias, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So I wanted to point out the Joshua passage goes well with we're going to talk about grace delivered today. And we're going to talk about grace being delivered through what the Reformers and the Puritans called the means of grace, what I, uh, my, one of my first pastors called the tools of grace, and I've always called the delivery systems of grace. Uh, whatever phrase you want to use, grace doesn't come to us in some undefined way that we don't know how to acquire more grace. Now, there's a whole teaching we are probably not going to do uh, since I don't want to do any more weeks on grace after hopefully this week, maybe next week. Uh, but uh, there is a whole teaching that's in the Grace Upon Grace series called Attitudes for Appropriation of Grace. And that's a huge subject. Uh, so uh, you, I just want to point that out to you that the grace requires a certain amount of humility. Uh, it's a certain amount of seeking grace, and it's the grace of God that causes us to seek. You know, in, the, in the, song, the great song, Amazing Grace, there's a wonderful line that says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. And grace will cause you to seek God. And it, it, grace will cause you to seek grace. So, uh, in, the, in the passage about Joshua, or from Joshua, this is, of course, after the death of Moses, they go through a 30-day mourning period, and then God says, okay, that was good. You mourned. Great. Get up. Get the, start doing the, the work that I've called you to do. And uh, that's always kind of a good thing to remind ourselves of. Just, you know, get back to work. And, uh, and then he tells them, be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law and so forth. Do, don't turn to the right or left. Uh, but I did a little study uh, in the wee hours of the morning about this phrase, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So I don't know about you, but I don't think of normally meditating as something, uh, you know, we've all talked about the chewing the cud and all that, but I don't think, I think of meditating as something I do sort of internally, mentally, and spiritually, and so forth. But actually, the Hebrew word means uh, to muse on it in such a way that you're talking it, you're muttering it. And uh, it's, uh, in some places, that same Hebrew word is translated, mutter, speak, talk. And so, um, it, in essence, what it's saying 
is what Jesus said in Matthew, that the mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. And it sort of made me think about, uh, you know, when our Lord taught, many times he's anticipating that non-Hebrew-minded people are going to be hearing his words because he knows all things and he knows the future. And so to a Hebrew, you wouldn't have to say the mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart because that's actually what it means. Like what's going on in your heart is what's coming out in your mouth, and what's going out of your mouth, it tells you what's in your heart. And uh, that's, in fact, what this passage is saying when it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It's saying that if it's in your heart, that's what you're talking about. And so it's always good to kind of ask ourselves, like, what do we talk about when we get together with the saints? Is that what we talk about at, say, uh, a bachelorette party or a bachelor party or a shower or, you know, uh, a meal together? Are, are we talking about, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, when I first became a Christian, I was part of the church that Catherine had already been a part of for a few years, because she became a Christian before I did. And, um, and uh, one of the interesting tradition that these people that I, you know, at first I was like, these crazy Christians, I'll never do that, lifting your hands and singing stuff and everything, but one of the wonderful things that they had as a way of life was they, when, they, when you were talking to anybody in the fellowship, they would say, what's the Lord been showing you lately? Remember that? <laughs> and you better have something that the Lord's been showing you lately. <laughs> you better get, have some verse come to mind. You know, that was a great, uh, it was actually a great uh, impetus or a great motivation to, to memorize scripture. And in fact, it has, it's come to my attention that there's probably one or two people, maybe even three or four in our church, that don't do much with memorizing scripture. If that's the case in your life, that's a big mistake. Uh, you know, I always carried around my three by five note cards. Now, uh, to me, you know, I put them in my blue jean pet, you know, like hippies wore blue jean jackets. But, uh, and, it, you know, that I put them in the same pocket where I used to put my cigarettes. And, uh, <laughs> and they were about the same size as a pack of cigarettes. I'd have a pack of three by five note cards, and the scripture words would be on the front, and the references would be on the back. And so I could use them sort of a flashcard. I could either just look at all the references and see if I could quote the scripture, or I could read the scripture and see if I knew the reference. And it was a great way to memorize scripture, and, and I did that probably hundreds of hours in my early Christian years, and it's it served me uh, these 45 years very well. So if you don't have a regular habit of memorizing scripture, I would encourage you to reconsider that. That might even be uh, somewhat um, why you're not strong and courageous. Like if you're not as zealous for the Lord, uh, I've been thinking about when David came back from Ziklag and all his merry men wanted to stone him to death. <laughs> uh, and his merry men. <laughs> you know, uh, all his, the mighty men. Uh, Robin had had the merry men. <laughs> uh, they weren't so merry at the time when they came back. And they found their wives and all their stuff gone. And they were, you know, blamed it all on David. 
not exactly sure why. I guess that just comes with being a leader, I suppose. But uh, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And I, I want to encourage us that one of the things I have noticed over the years is we have times that we're more zealous and times we're less zealous. And for most people, it's easier to be zealous when you first come into a group, when you first get a new vision, when you first uh, have your eyes open to something spiritually. Staying zealous is, the, is, a, is a much more difficult process. And in order to stay zealous, one of the things you have to do is you kind of have to wake yourself up in reality sometimes and say, Am I as zealous as I want? You know, I love where Jesus says to the Ephesian church in Revelation 3, you, I have this against you, you've left your first love. And uh, that's always been pretty challenging to me, uh, at least after I was a Christian for a few years. And, uh, one of, you know, I, I remember thinking, like, how do you know if you've left your first love? Well, he then tells you. He says, do the deeds you do it, did at first. So look at some of your special, especially your spiritual disciplines, and ask yourself, you know, uh, do am I, you know, if you if you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord, let, let me direct you to what I'm going to talk about today: the three delivery systems of grace, the Word, the Spirit, and the Church. And there are there are ways you can engage all of those more intentionally. And more decisively. So, uh, the word meditate includes the third tool of grace we're going to be looking at. It includes the church because it has to do with what you're talking about. One reason I always like to talk to Jeff Burks, Jeff, Jeff is always one of the last people to leave on Sundays. And he's always reading some good books, scripture, theology, so forth, and always wants to discuss something that's edifying. And uh, so should we all be. Uh, notice that the Psalms, I, I correlated that with Psalm 1, that talks about the godly man. In his law, he meditates day and night. Then I want, also wanted to comment on the scripture Roseanne read. Thank you for it. Roseanne was volunteered to uh, because it was t lots of difficult uh, names to pronounce and so forth, which he did great with. Um, so, um, I have always loved that passage, Romans 16. It would be in my, you know, uh, cycle of scripture readings, even though he's mostly saying, greet this person, greet that person, greet this person. Now, since I'm struggling with a little flu, you might forget about the holy kiss part for today. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Um, besides, I'm a fist bumper. <laughs> uh, so, w there's a couple uh, uh, things I like about this passage a lot. You know, Scripture uh, was written at a time when words had to be few because uh, the parchment and so forth that, they, that, that it was on was scarce, and everything had to be copied with a meticulous hand process in order to be passed around. And one of the things that we know quite clearly from church history 
is that uh, all the, Paul instructed that when my when my letter to the Laodiceans gets there, make sure you re- read it to, to the other churches. And the other churches were intentionally copying these letters from the beginning and passing them on to nearby churches. And Peter was already calling Paul's writing scripture when he wrote his epistles. And so they were considered very, 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 very valuable much more valuable than gold, much more valuable than silver. Anybody who, who really loves scripture and loves theology books and so forth knows that like, you know, you're now, of course, I have so many books that are electronic, but you know, my books are my most precious possession next to wifey, <laughs> although I don't really own her. Uh, she probably owns me, but uh, <laughs> um, what, so, you know, he, paper in, in space is at a premium, yet he takes this whole chapter to say, greet this person, greet that person, greet that person, greet that person. Let me just think, encourage you to think about, like, wh- what do we do when we see one another in the, sh- in the marketplace, in Kroger, or on the streets, or whatever? You know, maybe you should skip the holy kiss part for our sake of our culture. But do we take the time to greet each other? And do we really greet each other like, you know, that we, if we say, how are you doing, we actually want them to answer? <laughs> uh, or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Do, do we value just being able to see one another and shake hands, fist bump, inquire about each other's well-being? Uh, I love that part of this passage, and that's one of the reasons I think it's such an important thing. Uh, It also ties in, there are several reasons I like this passage, because it ties into the Joshua passage, because he talks about how the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the Israelites were told that every place that that their feet travel, God had given them that place. And that's actually true for, for Christians, you know, uh, this could be done in a very inappropriate spirit, but, uh, but I, you know, I've heard Christians will say something like, uh, someone says, how you doing? And someone says, well, I'm doing fine under the circumstances. And someone responds, well, what are you doing under the circumstances? And the truth of the matter is, uh, I don't want to, like, that could be totally done without grace and so forth. But if you, you know, one of the hard things I struggle with is like, people ask, how are you doing? And you might be in a difficult season, you've had deaths in the family, or you're struggling with sickness, or you're going through some financial difficulties or whatever, but the truth of the matter is, I, I always answer, I'm doing really well, because I'm in Christ by his choosing. So I am doing really well. You know, it, does, it really doesn't really matter what, uh, what, what else is going on. Even, you know, next week, Logan will still be doing really well after Ohio State beats Michigan for the, I don't know how many times in a row. But, uh, <laughs> but he'll still be able to come and worship the Lord because Jesus will still be on the throne. And, uh, and uh, we'll even, if, if Michigan wins, Logan, you can do the call to worship next week. Uh, <laughs> 
So the other, um, re another reason I love this passage, uh, besides the tr trotting to the feet and all that, um, well, the, of course, when he says greet Rufus, uh, a lot of people don't know who that Rufus is. Does everybody know who that Rufus is? Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's the son of the, of the guy who carried the cross with Christ. Rufus of Alexander, so who was pressed into service, you know, who the Romans made carry Christ's cross. And, I, you know, that is one of the greatest, that's a sermon in itself. I wish I had more time, but because uh, I haven't even got it started on the sermon yet. But the truth is, can you imagine what he was thinking? I, I'm thinking he was like cursing the Romans, thinking these jerks, I can't, you know, because they of course, we're totally abusing their power. They were totally an ungodly nation, uh, etc. But you know what? For, for all history, he'll be one of the great stars in the kingdom of heaven because God chose him for that wonderful purpose. And uh, his, uh, by this time, as far as we know, he was passed away. But, but uh, Rufus and his mother were actually members of the Roman church. So, uh, lastly, on this whole thing, uh, I had a long... Greetings, by the way, from Ned Berube and from Ray Nethery, who I uh, have been very helpful for us in this time and season, and talked with both of them this week. And one of the things, uh, you know, I was talking about the uh, fact that, uh, you, you know, like Catherine did a teaching on... Um, uh, the Lollards, what, what, uh, John, John Wycliffe last week, and in uh, uh, all, you know, all the things we're doing, and, and uh, you know, there's kind of this whole tendency in, in uh, some circles of evangelical Christianity. I am still technically a complementarian, but we said a long time ago, and we just really didn't move there, that I want to get as close to the river as I can. N notice how many women are greeted in this list. And how many of them are important? Now, I don't want to get into some of the controversial verses because in verse 7, when he greets Junia, Junia uh, the ESV kind of ducks the controversy by translating they are well known to the apostle. But, but really, it literally means that are also outstanding among the apostles. And so uh, most, you can't base much on, I'm not saying that women were apostles because I don't think that was true. But it's still interesting that, that Paul is greeting all kinds of women that are doing all kinds of important things all the time. And in the very first verse, Phoebe, a servant of the church, the Greek word there is diakonai, that we get the word deacon from. And some translations translate that a deaconess of the church. So... So let's talk about grace delivered. We've been looking at grace for uh, several weeks now, and, you know, this church is called Grace Christian Fellowship, quite intentionally. I remember many years before we started this church, I, was, I spent uh, 12 years not planning churches, focusing on raising my kids, and it was a time of great uh, brokenness in my life and uh, great dealings of God, and God was... Uh, breaking me down and, and building me back up and correcting my mis, 
wrong attitudes, motivations, lots of wonderful things. And uh, I, always, I began to think, you know, if God ever calls me to start another church again, I'm going to call it Grace something. And actually, we wanted to call it Grace Covenant Community, but that was already taken by a church in Beaver Creek that we're friends with, actually. So, uh, but Grace uh, goes beyond, as we've covered in the last few uh, weeks, uh, just to let you know, if, if you remember, in uh, Sunday, uh, what, November 3rd, we talked about performance versus grace, and, and uh, hopefully you, you have two takeaways that you're, that you're constantly aware of, that you have memorized, that you think about, that there's a tendency in our flesh and in a lot of versions of Christianity in our culture to be very performance-based. If you are struggling with guilt, shame, condemnation issues, then you're struggling with performance-based. Because condemnation is actually always a type of pride because it says, I should have done better. That's what you're actually saying. It's a very performance-based thing when you're, when you're struggling with condemnation. And uh, it's actually a pride thing, believe it or not. And so the truth of the matter is when we're truly broken and humble, we realize that there was nothing in us that, that caused us to come to Christ. We were running from God. And he chose us. We didn't choose him. And he drew us by his irresistible grace. And he caused us to be willing. Because we wouldn't have been willing. And it's, there is nothing good in us that caused that to happen in the first place. Now, in many cases, uh, people messed up our lives, we messed up our own lives, whatever the case may be, we came to be poor in spirit. But that's actually God's grace. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know there's a lot of people who um, are very successful in this life and think they can get along just fine without God and so forth that are far less blessed than someone who had a lot of troubles? If having a lot of troubles caused you to start seeing your need for God, then that was the grace of God working in your life. As I always like to joke, if you're not pretty messed up, you're not welcome here. <laughs> you don't really belong. So, uh, not that you should go out and, inc and increase your sinfulness just so you feel better about belonging. <laughs> uh, most of us were sinful enough. But uh, <laughs> grace is really um, much different. It's, the, the truth of the matter is, is if you really understand the difference between performance and grace, you would have to call grace, it's outrageous, it's audacious. You know, the prodigal God is the name of Tim Keller's book about Luke 15, because prodigal means extravagant to the point of wasteful. And you think about it, like many of the people in this room, probably all of us, if we've made much progress in the Lord, were the worst possible candidates for God to choose. <laughs> and, uh, and yet, you know, you know what? He's God. He can choose whoever he wants. And uh, he chose a lot of us. And the way he drew us was to really help us begin to see 
that we weren't very good Christians, that we were, in fact, some of us were quite good sinners. <laughs> we're pretty good at it. <laughs> All these people are smiling back at me. I, I know too much. But, uh, <laughs> so, uh, then, of course, we looked at grace as unmerited favor and so forth. So today I want to, uh, we looked at, uh, last week at grace is empowerment. Grace changes you. And one of the greatest uh, pleasures of my life is I, mo- so many of you, I know who you were, you know, three years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago. And uh, sometimes it's been longer than we think. I, uh, there's um, hundreds of teachings in our, in our um, what's that uh, program that we share, Dropbox. And uh, Christiana and Deanna have spent years um, editing them and cleaning them up a little bit and getting rid of the spelling mistakes and, and different things like that. And, and this week, I actually, uh, as I, the various teachings that I um, pulled up for various meetings I had with various one people, uh, there was a file that said, Deanna edited this six years ago, and I was like, six years ago? Wow. <laughs> and uh, that, which means she's, she's been actually helping with Grace Christian Fellowship for at least six years. And uh, then there was one that I came across this morning, or in the wee hours of the morning, that said, Deanna edited this file yesterday. <laughs> so, and, uh, so for the last six years, she's been editing files, and you wondered what she was up to. So, and then, of course, some of them say that Christiana edited them and so forth. Um, there was one that I came, came across the other day that said Deanna edited this three years ago and so forth. So, let's get into this grace delivered for the remaining five minutes that I'm going to go over, I guess. <laughs> that was the introduction. <laughs> so, uh, grace is, of course... Uh, we, I don't want us to forget that grace uh, is, always comes through encounters with Jesus Christ. We have to know Jesus Christ accurately intellectually. Uh, Austin, or, or, thank you. We have to know Jesus uh, accurately conceptually, scripturally, you know, the attributes of Christ. And in fact, I'm thinking of doing a series next year at, at 9.30 meetings possibly or, or at a uh, midweek meeting about Christology. And uh, if I do it, I'm going to probably do like 50-some messages just about who Jesus is. And um, uh, because it would take at least that to introduce the subject. So, um, grace always comes through knowing scripturally Jesus Christ, but experiencing Jesus Christ in a spiritual, tangible, concrete way. And whenever you encounter Jesus, grace is imparted to you. And grace is something you can grow in. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't start his second epistle by saying, may the grace of God be multiplied to you. You can grow in grace because it's a relational thing. You're either growing in your relationships or, or you're declining. And that's true of your relationship with God as well. You're either 
growing closer to God or you're uh, growing further away from God. So Jesus comes to us through these three inextricably intertwined delivery systems, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And so um, one of the most important things to understand is that sometimes in in, uh, scriptural truths, we can talk about some concepts conceptually and separate them out, but in, in practice, we can't separate them. So we can talk about the Word, the Spirit, and the church, but they all three always come to us. And every time we encounter Christ, it's through all three. And you can, all, you can actually use that fact to, to be your paradigm for studying church history because you can see different times in the church where the church uh, was less related to Scripture where the church was more re, less related to the Holy Spirit, and when the church was less the church. So if you remember two Sundays ago, Catherine spoke at the 930 meeting about John Wycliffe, who was a, called the Morning Star of the Reformation, and the primary thing he's known for, besides the fact that he trained a group of Lollard priests to go out and preach to the people, But what they did that was different than the pastors of their day is they preached to the people in English. So the people could actually be receive power and grace and revelation and insight and uh, and grow in the Lord by hearing the word of God. And for his time, because uh, it was a revolutionary idea, and in fact. There, there were some wrong spirits and attitudes in the hierarchy of the church that wanted to keep the word from the people so that, the, the, so that they could control the people better. Now, I'm a selfish pastor, so I want you to know the word more because then my job gets easier. <laughs> and I can watch more college football on Saturdays. But um, the, the Scripture can never come to us apart from the Holy Spirit because as Paul tells us, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And there used to be an old little ditty that's not in Scripture, but it, but it is scriptural in its ideas, that by the Word alone you'll dry up, by the Spirit alone you'll blow up, In the Spirit and the Word working together, you'll grow up. Now, that's because most of the forms of Christianity that brought those kind of little ideas very much neglected the church. So, um, I'm going to go over today, but I'm guaranteeing you that it's going to be worth it. Let's talk, I want to talk a little bit about the Word. We, We read last week, Acts 20, 32, and we emphasized that it was the last time Paul was going to see the Ephesians elders, so he says, I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. Some of you know Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Where's Stephen's one of his favorite memory verses? And able to judge between the, able to divide between 
uh, soul and spirit between joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Do you know you can't even know your heart accurately? Sin is so deceitful. Sometimes when I meet with people, I've sometimes had uh, meetings with people that for as much as uh, 50 or more meetings, I'm trying to open their eyes up to the fact that they're lying to themselves about certain things. And the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, is the only thing that can open your eyes to realities. And I can think of several cases where I met with someone for one or two years before uh, some light started going on. We're too impatient in our culture, by the way. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We, we, we stop there, but it says, so the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You need the Word of God. To, if you, especially, so many people in our church are what I would call Christian workers. You share the gospel. You lead Bible studies at Wright State or... Uh, you, you know, you have various ways in which you're uh, bringing the Word of God to people. You're a father. You know, whatever the case may be, uh, you need the Word of God to, to equip you. I love Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances are uh, where did I, I lost it. Uh, every one of your righteous ordinances are eternal. John 8, 31 through 34 talks about, um, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. Reading the reverse negative, that means if you don't abide in his word, you can go to church Wednesday nights and Sundays. You can double tithe, whatever you want to do. But if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to be more like Mary than like Martha. Sitting at his feet, listening to his words. How many times do we get alone? In fact, how many people have never even figured out where they could be alone? Like you need to have some alone places where there's no cell phone and there's no kids and there's no distractions. One of the most important things husbands can do for wives is take care of the kids so the wife can go spend time with the Lord. And it's amazing what you can turn into an alone place. Before I started, uh, when I used to use this Bible, before I started doing electronic Bibles in 2004, I used this Bible from 1998 to 2004, and I had this plastic uh, device that was meant to be, it was uh, invented to be put on a treadmill so you could put your magazine in the treadmill or whatever while you're, re- while you're walking on the treadmill or jogging, and, and you could read. And I kept this in my car, and I would uh, not use it while I was driving. <laughs> but I would drive to various places. I had several places. One of them was Eastwood Lake. And I would, I would you know, face, uh, park facing the, the duck pond so I could see the ducks come in. And uh, I've always thought there was a connection for me between, like, being out in the woods and, and, you know, getting a hold of God seems to go hand in hand for me. But I would stick this Bible in there and read for hours. 
And I would always turn off my cell phone because I didn't want anybody to find me. Because you know what was much more important? It was much more important that I find God and he find me. Now, he didn't know, it wasn't that he didn't know where I was, but I didn't know where I was. So when God says, you know, where are you, Adam? It's not because God doesn't know where Adam is. It's because Adam doesn't know where Adam is. So I wish, uh, I want to commend to you a, um, and in fact, Deanna, make sure we have enough copies, uh, put somebody else in charge of this, if you can, of the Bible on the importance of Bible study, the four-page version here for, uh, for next Sunday. But this is uh, about 70 scriptures from Scripture, of scriptures from Scripture, <laughs> that tell you why you should read Scripture. And they're divided by 14 th- topics or themes. So it compares it to much fine gold. How much time do you spend earning your, your sustenance? Now, I doubt you can spend that much time in Scripture, but you can value the Scripture more than you value even your job in your heart. How much of your fulfillment is more your vocation than it is the Lord or your ministry? Then there's this whole subject of the daily reading of God's word. Ezra 7.10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach it in Israel. Are you called to lead? We have six guys that we've asked to uh, speak on 9.30 on Sunday morning. Stephen was one of them today, right? And, uh, and they're each going to speak once every two months. Uh, and then Catherine's going to speak once a month on a figure in Christ hist- church history. But the other three Sundays, you're going to hear from some young brothers that we think God has, you know, have some potential possibly to, to become teachers or leaders over time or have, seem to have some giftedness in that area. And uh, I, I would encourage you to, to hear them. What, one of the funniest things to me is that we can't get uh, everyone to come at 930, and uh, especially like the fact that we can't get all the single people to come at 930. Like, really? What, are, what is so important? Uh, it's because you're partying on Saturday nights instead of, you know, I can't understand why single people miss the 930 meeting. I can't understand why anybody misses it unless you got like a bunch of little kids and, and whatever. But that can be a little hard time of life. But all these scriptures, you know, it provides light. Your word's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what's the difference between a lamp and a light? A lamp shows you the immediate stuff around your feet. Catherine and I used to do a thing that we eventually got yelled at by the park ranger. <laughs> we used to be walking in Clifton Gorge after it got dark. And <laughs> it's really bad when you step off a cliff. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that, first, that next step is kind of long. But, um, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but we used to carry, like, this fluorescent light thing that, you know, comes with an 18-volt battery, and, you know, it's a tool that, people use when they're working on their cars or what have you. And we used to carry it in a little backpack. On my, and then after it got dark, we'd use that because you couldn't find your way without the... But it was a lamp. It didn't show us what was 150 feet ahead, 
but it showed us what was 15 feet ahead. And that comes in very handy at Clifton Gorge because you don't want to take any wrong turns, <laughs> when you're, especially when you're on the upper trail. And uh, eventually the park ranger was waiting for us in the parking lot and said, you know, you're not supposed to be in here past dark. And I said, we didn't know it was going to get dark. (laughs) 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 To which he said, liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) You know, a light uh, looks farther ahead. And it looks down the path. And God wants to give you enough light to understand what he's called you to in terms of vocation, in terms of ministry, in terms of marriage. There are some decisions that are long-term. You know, we'll be doing a wedding here in a couple weeks, and we're not like just saying, Josiah, do you want to take Teresa for like a month or two? (laughs) Uh, And vice versa. Teresa says, well, I'll keep my options open. <laughs> not, a, not a choice. Not one of the choices presented. Uh, the Holy Spirit. Many of us know that the Holy Spirit is the forgotten member of the Trinity in most of Western Christianity today. Now, increasingly, the Holy Spirit is being poured out worldwide so that in some parts of the world... Uh, especially Central and South America and Africa, uh, at least about one-third of Christians have become uh, tongue speakers and demon caster-outers and what, they would, what you might call charismatic or believing in the present activity of the Holy Spirit, that the things in the Bible are that, you know, when it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he really is the same. And he didn't just change and become a Western theoretical God that we talk about, but we don't do, do the things. And that, you know, the, the intent, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit wants to be a lot more to you than a prayer language. A prayer language will open your spirit for the ability to experience the Holy Spirit uh, more dynamically, more regularly, more often. But all kinds of things from humility to seeking God to spending time in the Word to worshiping are things that cause us to be filled and refilled with the Spirit. And again, I'm way past the time already, but if you're you're tracking with me, this will change your life. You know, if you're going to re-examine your relationship with Scripture... And do some things to stir up your relationship to Scripture. I would encourage you to start with stuff like the Bible and the importance of Bible study. I would definitely encourage you to consider, do I have a Bible memory? I've actually was shocked because I talked to one or two people in the church that didn't have Bible memory programs. I'm like, what? Like, which church did you go to? <laughs> you know, like, I, if you don't have a Bible memory program, I, like I, you kind of left your brain at the door when you came in. And maybe you've been doing that for a few years, but I would encourage you to, and I'm not trying to be negative or hurtful. I'm, uh, you know, I apologize if, if it came across that way. I'm just saying, like, don't, it's like God is trying to hand you $100 bills and you're saying, no thanks. Memorize scripture. Make that an important part of your Christian life. Find a program that works for you. 
you know, one person's diet, nutrition, and, and workouts regimen isn't necessarily what's going to work for you, but you've got to find what's going to work for you. And there's no more important diet than eating the Word of God. In fact, I think uh, of these 14 categories, I think number four is it's our sustenance. You know, Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus quoted that to Lucifer in both Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4. How often do you quote scripture when you're in temptation or confusion or whatever? I would encourage you sometimes to rebuke the enemy with scripture. The Holy Spirit. uh, There's, you know, I... Actually, uh, I'm glad that this just came back to my memory because I was thinking about a lot about this during the worship. To, you know, Samuel and uh, John Luke and Christiana. I, you know, um, this goes to all the other worship people. Um, Sam Moante lately and uh, uh, Noel and Deanna and so forth. You know, I, I've been in a r- relatively painful, t- difficult season of my life in so many nights this, the, that I just sit there and let the worship minister to me on Wednesday nights and on uh, Friday nights and on Sunday mornings. And just to be around, you know, we have a lot of people in our church that are gifted at, at playing worship, leading worship. And, you know, the, like sometimes you need someone else to help carry you a little bit. And that even goes for pastors. And I, I've had quite a few experiences in the last few months where Either the Sunday morning worship or the Wednesday night worship or really carried me. Because, you know why? Because the people who lead the worship are not just good musicians. They're lead worshipers, if you understand what I'm saying. I've always said I don't want worship leaders. I want lead worshipers. Like the people, when, you, when you're up here playing, it, and it comes out of a rich love for God, it's, man, it carries so much. And many of us are at places at times where we need the fact that some of us are in a better place with the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and so forth than some of the others of us. That's part of how the body works. I, I have been so helped in this season just by people worshiping the Lord that really didn't have any intention on helping me. They were just enjoying the Lord. And I just got to be able to drink of that, and, uh, and there was no extra charge for it either. So, <laughs> and so that was nice. Um, lastly, the church. Um, you know, there's so many aspects to the church that we could talk about. The things we do on the Lord's Day, probably some of us miss too many Lord's Days. I... Uh, I really felt bad that I missed the 9.30 this morning because I have only, only missed it about twice a year. And uh, I, I really want to hear what the, what the Lord is speaking to Josiah or John Gray or whatever. I do. I want to hear what the Lord's speaking to them. Uh, and part of it is like being a body together. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, someone who's, that hasn't uh, taken their turn yet in this thing. 
was asking me, well, how do I know what the Lord wants me to speak? And I said, well, speak what's current in your heart, like what you've been studying, what you've been thinking about, what you've been meditating. Speak something that's like a currently alive to you. That there's, there's a sense of God's spirit when you're, when you're reading scripture and you're thinking about this particular subject. The church is a delivery system of God's grace. Uh, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers were given by Christ freely. He raises up, you know, it's not me that's raising up different people. You know, one of the things that, that by the grace of God, this church does better than most people, most churches that I've ever been a part of and seen. Um, and, uh, other, you know, like this is something that Ned Berube and, uh, you know, Eric Meyer was frankly blown away just by how much insight and anointing and passion for God the eight or ten people that spent an hour praying for him after church had in them. And, you know, I... I kind of put out a call that said of the 30 or so people that help with those kind of things, if eight or 10 of you could stick around and pray for Eric for an hour, an hour and a half, we, and we prayed for him for about an hour and a half, and there was like, I don't know, about 10, 10 12 people. And he, like, it's, it, he found it to be a life-changing experience that 10 or 12 people would be willing to take an hour and a half out of their Sunday afternoon just to pray for him and his family and his church and so forth. And that's a wonderful thing that we have here. You know, um, so um, Christ gave all these things for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, the Greek word there is didomai, which means to grant or supply necessary things, necessary things. And guess what? We need each other. One of the most important critical resources, like this is this doesn't happen out there. Most people look at the church as some place to have a liturgical happening on Sundays. And I'm not saying, like, what we do is we do what I call low church uh, liturgy. We do all the things that you'd find in a high church liturgy in a very uh, way that people who have been brought up in that evangelical anti-liturgy culture can start to get used to. Because they did, you know what? They took weekly communion in, in the New Testament times. So many churches take communion once a month or twice a year or once a year. And that's just not biblical. It's just not. Now, whether we do communion right or wrong, I don't know. Uh, but um, we, we try to be pleasing to the Lord. Reciting creeds. Uh, we're going to work on getting the exact wording better, which Deanna did last week on Sam missed order two today. But uh, we're supposed to say, let, let's uh, declare our faith as it's been handed down to us. Because you know what the creeds are? There are a lot of very godly people. See, one of, one of the reasons the church was afraid of letting the average person have the scriptures in their own language was they thought we would, it would, the church would degenerate to exactly what it has. Where everybody has their own religion in their own head. And nobody is that leadable. But there's a balance of you come to Christ individually and no one can walk with God for you. 
And so there is the individualistic aspect that we have of Western Christianity today has some biblical truth in it. But there's also a place where the Bible says Scripture's not a matter of one's own interpretation because no one ever spoke a word of Scripture by an act of human will, but holy men that were moved by the Holy Spirit spoke as they were moved from God. And so that's in the Peter's epistles, by the way. And there is a place for the people, the, the leaders of God's church, to write creeds and to say, you know, there, if, if you haven't ever studied, go online and uh, look at what's called the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy. It was a bunch of evangelicals, who leaders who got together uh, 10 years ago or so, it's probably longer than that by now, uh, and said, all, all, all hell is breaking loose in evangelical Christianity. Everybody's their own God doing whatever the hell they want to do. That's what, they didn't say it that way. I did. <laughs> there, and, and, and the truth is, that's really what has kind of happened. And there is a place for your own conscience and your own walk with the Lord and so forth. But there also is a faith that was handed down to us and God ordained a process, read it about it in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, that says that, uh, that heresies also arose among the people so that the way of the truth may become more evident. And so God allowed docetism, and, and uh, Catherine will probably teach us about Arius, and various challenges to orthodoxy in order for the church to, ha- to be forced to come together and say, this is, this is what the Bible's parameters are. And that's where we got the creeds. And that's why they're so important. They're saying, if, you, if you're not in the bounds of the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the symbol of Chalcedon, the Athanasian Creed, the symbol of orange, you know, the Augsburg Confession, you can throw in some Reformational ones if you want. But they help us know uh, what Scripture actually says about the important issues. And there's a lot of grace to be different on the issues that aren't covered there. But if you can't say every line of the, of the Nicene Creed and understand what it means, that's problematic. No one-year-old Christian should not be able to know what every line of the, of the Nicene Creed means and why it matters. And the, there's one last thing I want to say about the church. You know, we do uh, one-on-one discipleship in this church. And uh, one of the things we're talking about in our leaders' meeting is how to get that going a little better again because there's so many people who are just doing so many things without getting much advice or counsel and, and kind of floundering and, and, frankly, making bad decisions sometimes. We certainly don't want to tell you what to do. But you're, to be honest, um, as most of you know, when I, my first 10 years or so of being a Christian, I felt like when I read the Proverbs about the righteous or wise man is this and the foolish or evil man is this, I was the foolish man. And so I read one chapter of Proverbs every day for about 10 years that matched the date until it became my way of life. 
And what I'm amazed at so much is so many people who do so many things without wise counsel. You know what? I never do anything without wise counsel. And how much counsel I get has a lot to do with how important the decision is. Normally, I get at least Catherine's counsel, uh, our elders, our leadership team, Ned Berube, Lou Callagher, Eric Meyer, uh, some people like that. There's lots of people even, uh, in this church that depends on the subject. There's many times I consult Nathan's opinion about books and theology and so forth because he's pretty gifted in that area. Um, you know, I wouldn't do anything financially without consulting Catherine, not just because she's my wife and we share, we have joint finances, of course, but because she's, you know, her father was a PhD from Harvard in finance. She has a master's in economics and she's run the finances of quite a few organizations and successful businesses and so forth. And she, I would be foolish not to consult her on financial decisions. Except buying fish. But, uh, no. <laughs> Small ones. And, you know, when the recession hit in 2008, there, yeah, there were nights where I woke up and Catherine wasn't next to me. And it was because... Uh, she was downstairs in the basement crying. And there were other nights that she woke up and I wasn't there. Because I was in the basement crying. Because our business had done so well for so long that we had foolishly allowed ourselves to get to $267,000 worth of total indebtedness on the church building on a, you know, our house, et cetera. And uh, it looked like there was no way. Our sales went down from 13800 average per month to $3,500 a month in one month. Boom. We used to give four to $6,000 a month to, uh, to this church just been in the early years, and all of a sudden our income was 3500 a month, and we had still had four kids in private schools and a mortgage and a mortgage on the church building. It looked like there was no way that we weren't going to have to close the church and lose our home and lose the church building and everything. And... Um, so some important lessons that came out of this was I got counsel from more than 50 Christian businessmen that I know around the country when I normally get counsel from about five different godly men on most subjects. Do you hear that? I called every person I knew that had financial wisdom. Now, some of that became uh, part of the answer because both two of my cousins and Catherine's father sent us money to help us get through the first year. But we paid every bill on time uh, 
we, we initially had to roll $30,000 worth of stuff over to zero interest credit cards that you have to pay off in six or nine months. We paid them all off long before they were due. And it, it was miraculous. One of the men who gave me counsel was Ray Nethery who said, Greg, you've been used to God miraculously using the sales of gem leasing to finance Grace Christian Fellowship. And you need to see that God's not limited to, to, grace, uh, to gem leasing to save you and that he can bring money from other places. We started taking an offering for the first time. We hadn't even taken an offering up till then. We've been five years as a church without taking an offering on Sundays. And we, you know, as you know, we've never been the kind of church that preaches the offering. We, we really should teach on tithing and giving and all that and lots of other financial things much more often than we do. But you know what? By God's grace, every bill was paid on time. All the time. And we were, we were down to uh, almost no debt in no time at all. And so, you know, what I want to say is, is this. Like so many people do stuff without counsel. I can't imagine, I don't usually get counsel about which toothpaste to buy. I like the $1 Pepsi and stuff. <laughs> I like to go to the dollar store and get this old-fashioned toothpaste called Pepsi. The original flavor, of course. Uh, but I'm an old man. But uh, I get counsel about so many things. So many. You know, my, I'm actually going to have dinner with my... my uh, uh, cardiologist in Hyderabad in February. We've already prearranged that. Where I'm gonna, he, you know, he works out of Kettering, but he goes to Hyderabad several times a year because his parents live there. So we're gonna meet up for dinner in Hyderabad because I get counsel. I have a Christian doctor that I met because uh, Wayne and Sandy McNamara were were picketing at the the Stroop Road abortion clinic. And, they, and this doctor was picketing there, too, and they gave him my uh, Kingdom of God series uh, from, from the old 80s, from the 1980s. And he listened to them, and he called me up one Sunday night and said, this is the best Christian teaching I've ever heard. Tell me more about this Kingdom of God thing. And by the time we were done talking on the phone that night, he said, I'll, I'll treat your family for free if you send me your cassette tapes every week. I said, deal. <laughs> so back then I had a secretary, so she actually did that. But So the point is this. Use the church as a critical resource. Some of us uh, use the church less than others. You know, Jesus said violent men enter the kingdom of God by force. You know where most people don't make any progress is they say, well, I'm not going to call John Gray. He's too busy. I'm not going to call Greg Weiss and get advice. He's too busy. I'm not going to call for advice because they're too busy. Guess what? Stephen Leopold, John Gray, Anvesh Paramala, Deanna Paramala, et cetera, et cetera, Catherine Weiss, they are grown-ups. And they love you and want to meet with you. And they're fully capable of saying, well, I can't speak to you right now. 
You know, I spoke to someone on the phone late last night uh, because I couldn't speak to them earlier on Saturday. So it, it's not that people don't want to, to help you. They might not be able to drop everything and help you that minute, but you're foolish to not get past that one. That is one that everyone deals with. I dealt with that with my pastors when I was a young Christian. Oh, they're too busy. I don't want to bother them. Let them decide if they're too busy or not. Get past that one. Because so you know what? The, the, God has put a lot of counsel in his church. And I rarely don't get counsel from people often much more qualified than me Depends on the subject. You know, I probably wouldn't talk to certain ones of you if I wanted car advice, but I'd probably talk to Bradbury. Does that make sense? You know, uh, so anyway, I, we're way past the time, but if you actually would take these three delivery systems of grace and you would determine in your mind and your heart that grace empowers me to live how God wants me to live. And I'm not going to let grace be taken from me. You know, like Jesus said to Mary, or, or to Martha, 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 you're worried and bothered about so many things. Mary has chosen the better part, which she's not going to let get taken from her. Luke 10, look it up. All right, I'm uh, John Gray coming and bail these people out from me.